Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, it is 6.02. I think we'll be starting here. So if everyone would um, turn off their uh, microphones, just uh, mute yourself. Uh, Brother Bryant will be sharing this morning uh, part two of what he started one week ago, and that is uh, Cultivating Kingdom Communities. Uh, Bryant is from State College, Pennsylvania, uh, part of a group there called Followers of Jesus. And I think everybody knows Bryant, right? <laughs> All right. Welcome, Bryant. And uh, the time is yours. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good, it's good to be with you. Um, Glenn, I was thinking that maybe this phone call should be called the Spartan call. <laughs> it's for the... It's for the ones who uh, are want to get up early. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, especially if you got to speak. I'll have a respect for anybody from here on out who's got to speak at six o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, I, I don't do well preparing much ahead, and I, I, I tend to kind of prepare right before I speak, and um, so that means getting up early in the morning. But uh, that's okay. I do like mornings. Um, they are they are a blessing. So good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be good to be with you this morning. And also, I've I've never spoken much where I would where I've done a part one and then a part two. I've always kind of delivered everything that I prepared at one time. And so this is kind of a new experience for me right here uh, doing this. So you can um, pray for me. All right, well, let, let's have prayer. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, thank you. We, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. We come boldly to your throne. Uh, and Father, we, we are um, just touched this morning with your mercy. You're allowing us another day to serve you, giving us that privilege, that opportunity. So Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would uh, use us, be pleased to use us, in the work of advancing your kingdom. And Father, we have so many needs. Uh, I have so many needs in my life, so much brokenness, so many areas to grow. And Father, I, I want my love for you to, to grow. So Father, we know that you first loved us, and that, was, and that love brought you to this earth on this amazing rescue mission to bring humanity back into a, a relationship with you and to see this, this kingdom inaugurated on earth, the spiritual kingdom that the prophet writer says um, is going to be from sea to shining sea. It's a spiritual kingdom that you're calling all people into, uh, multi-ethnic, uh, one of the most diverse nations on earth, and that is your kingdom. And we celebrate that this morning. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so just a quick overview from, from last week as we thought about part one of cultivating kingdom communities of, of faithful practice. And so I, we talked about the, the, the incredible brokenness in a world um, and, and just the reality that, 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 that there's so much of this around us nationally, globally, from health to uh, intellect, um, there's just incredible brokenness in that 
And the question comes to us, what is the answer for our world today? And I believe this is so important that we really grapple with this because if someone has said there, there are lots of Christians who are giving the right answers to their questions, but sadly their questions are wrong. And that can happen to us so easily. We can get everything right, but yet we've totally missed the point. We've totally missed Jesus in this and his heart and his way and his kingdom on earth. And also, uh, I talked about, too, how God has given, this, uh, given us this incredible opportunity to be participants with him in his work that his son has started on earth. And I talked about this quote, one of my favorite quotes, a vision without a task is but a dream. A task without a vision is drudgery. But a vision and a task is the hope of the world. And I believe that through, through our communities, through living together at our local churches, um, through following uh, the way of Jesus and, and continuing participating in the work that he has started is just an incredible vision and it's an incredible task for our world today. I also talked about kind of the three different paradigms that, that, that have come at us, uh, especially in the Christian world. The one was maybe the conservative right and the other one, is the is the is the maybe progressive progressive left, and and their way of working basically at the end of the day their emphasis um, is really the same that's often in Gentile rule, and we see that happening uh, in this, this last several months. Get out and vote, go vote, and of course both sides are advocating their person, um, but we know that the top down is not the way of Jesus, and it also kind of laid out a vision statement um, for the kingdom churches or the Anabaptist churches of today, looking back through history. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to uh, quote that here. And these aren't all, these are, aren't, aren't all my thoughts. These, are, these have been thoughts that have been kind of pulled together from different places. So this isn't uh, my ingenious um, uh, vision statement, but really uh, 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 um, lots of thoughts have come together over the last couple of years that I've thought about following Christ, what that looks like. And this was the vision statement um, through cultivating communities of faithful practice under the role of King Jesus, engaging and serving people through personal relationship or one-on-one interaction, calling them to come and participate in this living body of disciples, our local church. And through that, thereby being a proclamation of the kingdom of God on earth. And it's through this that God will change the world. And like I said, the emphasis here, and I think so much of our lives has to do with emphasis. Uh, maybe the left and the right, they maybe have, have their places that are right. Of course they do. But it's their emphasis that are wrong. And so our emphasis uh, in this is, is it being a witness. It's living. It's word. It's action. It's presence. It's community. And it's participation by all. No spectators we talked about. Everyone has a part to play uh, in this. And so then, when then we jumped into um, five points that we need to reject. I won't go across that. I don't have time here this morning um, to, to get into that. I'm really hoping. Um, so the next, so part two here is talking about the areas that we would need to cultivate. So uh, five points on 
on, on, on areas that we need to cultivate to be communities of faithful practice. And I would like to, at the end of this, is open it up and allow each one, all of you, whoever uh, feels called to, um, to share about things that I've missed, um, pushback, whatever, and also add, yeah, add to, share things, uh, other areas uh, that we can, that we need to grow in or that we can embrace to really be part of this cultivating um, communities of faithful, of faith practice. So my number one point this morning in this idea of cultivating um, is we cultivate communities of faithful practice by pursuing an obedient love, faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And that starts with me. And as we know, and with my heart, and as we know, we see Jesus coming um, to take the, that tablet of stone from the past, from the old covenant, and he wants to see his law written deep on our hearts and to change us because he knows that without a change deep in our hearts, there will be no change. And so this focus maybe in some ways in this number one point is, is on me and, and that's right. But it's not the meism that I talked about earlier that we need to reject, but it's really, it's a repentance. It's an absolute, it's a, a 180 change to follow the ways of Jesus and to get lost in the vision and the mission that he has for us. It's really my repentance, my salvation is just an entrance into this much bigger plan, this much bigger house. It's a doorway into the kingdom of God and the work that he's doing in the world. So Jesus comes to tackle, to change our motor, the center of us, so that we have that power and the ability to really be his disciples on earth. Um, Leo Tolstoy says, everyone thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing himself. And so we see Jesus doing that. Um, there's lots of, of, of positive thinking um, mantra in our world today about change. But we know that for true change to happen, true change to happen, the only way is through that life of Christ coming and being within us and giving us that power to overcome. Um, there's, there's different verses here. I think of uh, the verse in Matthew 9, uh, actually two verses, 12 and 13, where Jesus there was there with, with um, the publicans, with, with Matthew, the tax collector, and with other sinners dining with them. And the Pharisees are like, why? Uh, asking his disciples, why does your prophet do this? And he says this, those who are, in, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as we think about following Christ, abiding in Christ, um, um, having that obedient love, faith, relationship with Jesus Christ, I think of the, the, the chapters there in John at, uh, at the Lord's Supper, there before his crucifixion, powerful chapters of, of Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. And he says this in John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot, cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
And I would love to park here and allow older brothers like Patrick and John D and others and Glenn to talk about abiding in Christ. What does that look like? Because I believe this is at the foundation of really being a true disciple of Christ today. And I feel like it's, my, it's one of the biggest areas in my life that I need to cultivate that the disciplines of prayer and fasting or maybe as John was talking about before at the beginning of the call here of, of turning away from, from that overeating and, and putting energy into exercise, um, disciplines of, of rest, of worship, all these things that, that have a way of going deep into our hearts and changing us from the inside out. Um, there's a book that, that, I, that has been a real blessing to me um, here in this area. It's David Brousseau's book, um, Secrets of the Kingdom Life. I was actually just read a little bit in it this morning. Was it challenged by it? Um, it's, it's brother, um, brother David is getting at the heart of, of following Christ. Let, let it not be said of us, as, as Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like you Christians. You Christians are so unlike your Christ. Following, being, cultivating communities of faithful practice, being communities that not only embrace and not only display, but that also proclaim the kingdom of God we need to, first of all, drink at that fountain of living water. And we need to draw others into that fountain. We need to lead them to this well of living water, this water where we're never thirst again. And I believe we have our work cut out in this area. It's easy to perform. It's easy to change outward things. But seeing the deep things of the heart changed is a difficult thing. And I think of another quote, as you know, I like quotes um, that we actually recently put on, up in our cafe. And it goes like this. While a thousand men are slashing at the leaves of evil, there is one that is going to the root. And we know that Jesus coming and his work goes to the central, goes to the root cause of the issues in the world. And that is the cause of the heart. So may God give us much wisdom as we not only lay our own hearts before him, but as we guide and direct and disciple others, our children, the, the ones around us in, in, this, in this great work. And also I think maybe there's one practical point here um, is, is uh, we need to exemplify and teach this idea that Christ is at the center, that scripture is not about just scripture, but really, this, this word of God is all about Jesus. It's a story that leads to Jesus. And as Brother Leo has taught me, the most intimate revelation of Jesus, of God, the most intimate revelation, what this book is all about is about Jesus, or as some people might say, a Christocentric understanding of Scripture. Or um, another way to look at it is that Scripture is, is the outward word, is the outward word that leads to the inner word, and that is Jesus Christ. Looking at that as Jesus is a center, this is what this is all about, and pressing into it, uh, rejecting oversimplified thoughts 
like the Bible is an acronym that stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. We need to get away from those things and call people into a vibrant, beautiful understanding of scripture as a written word that leads to the end is all about the living word. And that is Jesus Christ. So may God give us much wisdom here. Okay. Let's keep moving along here. Um, My second point is we cultivate communities of faithful practice by prioritizing our community. And again, this is an area that uh, I've been convicted in um, and so so many times fall short in. But this is where, this is the rubber meeting the road. Um, It's easy for us to maybe in some ways uh, focus on a relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that vertical relationship with God because it's, it's maybe more, more personal, more individual, but yet we see Jesus that always means to an end. And that is that we could enter into a much greater work. And that is local communities who are doing the incredible work of proclaiming the kingdom of God to the world. It cannot be done in isolation. It's only done in community. And as somebody has said, Jesus didn't come and write a book, but he came and he commissions a community to go into the world. And we just see that at the end of Matthew and in Acts 1 for the ascension. Jesus is just commissioning a community to go into the world. And so that's what this is all about. And so how do we do that? How do we prioritize the church? Uh, Well, maybe it's by just love for each other. and we see that in, in, in John there at, at the Lord's Supper before his crucifixion, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That sounds easy, but it's so hard. And like I talked about earlier, we love talking about the early church and how they went from house to house. Fellowshipping together, we, we, it's, it's, a, it's a fun notion. It is a beautiful thought. But yet, when it comes to my community and, 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 that, when, and the brokenness around me and in my own life, it, it becomes so hard. But I believe this is an area that we need to press into with all our energies. We need to prioritize our community. John 17, verse 20, 22 through 23, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. This is Jesus talking to his heavenly father. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you. Of course, we see that all through the New Testament scripture again and again. Um, the, the apostles just, just again and again repeating this important understanding. That is our love for our brothers and, and sister. First uh, Peter Four eight above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Galatians six ten, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. So we have lots of work in this area. I know that I sure do, in in loving our our less local body. You know, strength to strength is a pretty easy call to be part of. 
It's, it's brothers who I don't know that well. Uh, we have a common interest as a kingdom of God. That's, that brings a lot of unity. And it's beautiful, and I believe it's an important thing, this, this call is. But yet, so much more important than that is prioritizing our community, the, our brothers and our sisters that are right around us. Um, John Nugent says this in his book, which I talked about last week some, um, The Endangered Gospel. He says this, Since loving one another is God's plan, it must be our highest priority. No more embarrassment. No more second-guessing. No more imitating worldly strategies for making this world world a better place. They have failed, and it will fail. The old order is passing away. Only God's kingdom will stand. New creation is everything. Nothing is more arrogant and self-serving than assuming that we know better than God what is best for his world. If God's strategy requires a people whose life together reflects his kingdom— and any other strategy is apostasy and doc- and any doctrine that competes with it is heresy. And so may we um, understand that the way to change the world is through these communities, these local bodies of people, um, displaying that, um, embracing it, and proclaiming it to the world and, and bringing people uh, into that. You know, just some practical areas here that I that I like to think about. Um, you know, is, is how do we how do we do this? How do we show this these, this community to to the world around us? Um, you know, it's it's pretty hard to do that when 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 your community exists just within a four walls of a of a building. You know, once or twice a week. Um, how can we proclaim? How can we show our communities uh, to the world? the world around us um here a week or two ago well i guess it's about three weeks now uh, my son Traden uh, cracked his finger really badly um we were, we were splitting firewood and uh, he was running the hydraulic wood splitter and he went from splitting firewood to splitting his finger and really messed it up badly and it was it was, it was pretty ugly and uh and so um we had to get off to the er right away he was in lots of pain and our community here jumped around us. We have on, on our street here, we have a, a family that lives up, up the street from us. And we have a brother who lives below us here in our walkout apartment, basement apartment. And, um, and different ones jumped in to help us. And it was interesting, though, our, it was a number of our neighbors that were outside. It was a beautiful evening. And, and they soon realized what was going on and that our son, Trey, was hurt badly. And, um, and the, you know, parents were concerned. And they, they got to see our community jumping in taking care of our children, um, even going with us. Um, and, and it was, it was beautiful. And I was, I was reflecting on that later. And I was, I was thankful that uh, we could, uh, and I'm hopeful that, that there was, that they could see the kingdom of God at work uh, in that situation. Um, so how can we, yeah, how can we get um, our community outside the four walls so people can see it, that they can see that we care about that we're prioritizing community. Um, I have, you know, I have more, more questions and answers in this area, um, but I love, I'm, I'm excited to be part of a group of brothers here um, uh, who, who care about this and who are thinking about this, who are doing it in many, many beautiful ways. And so maybe at the end of the call here, we can talk about ways that we can show the world around us um, um, this, this, this community of God on earth. Okay, let's keep moving along. Number three, um, we cultivate communities of faithful practice by beginning to dream again. 
We need to allow the way of Jesus to stoke our imagination. Um, you know, and as, as we, I think, uh, I, well, as, as Dean, Dean Taylor has said it so well, um, quoting John, uh, uh, Joel 2.28, where it talks about old men dreaming dreams, young men having visions. He said, Dean said, um, the young men today are fantasizing and the old men are cynical. And I believe that's a sad reality in so many aspects of Christianity, especially here in the West, where the, the old men are cynical, they've been burnt, um, and, and young men are fantasizing. There's so many things, so much um, sin that is so easily accessible that appeals to our flesh, and we've been pulled away from God, from his way. And so we need to... Um, we need to press into having this love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to press into prioritizing our communities. We need to start dreaming again. How can we show the world this better and new way? Um, one of the verses that, that just inflames my imagination um, and is so beautiful is, is Matthew 20, uh, where Jesus said, um, he, he said, you know the role of the Gentiles, Lord, it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become a great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever de- desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, if we could just take that, those last three phrases. So the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life be ransom for many. If we can just make that our calling in life, that make that press into that spirit of, of, of serving others. Could you imagine what would happen in, in our families, uh, in our communities and in our world? May, may God help us. And I'm thankful, so thankful to, to have, be surrounded by men who are dreaming uh, in our own congregation here and, and across the churches. Uh, I, you know, Patrick Matthew, uh, Brother John D. Martin. There's just so many people, who, older men, who are dreaming, who are working hard. I think about how um, reading Finney's book, King Jesus Claims His Church, how uh, just a number of years ago, I think 2013, it just inflamed my imagination. I was hungry to have conversations and interactions around the kingdom of God and how we could actually live this out and actually talk about it and grapple with the hard things um, of, of what this would look like. Uh, recently, our family read uh, the book by uh, Christian Aid Ministry that just came out on the Waldensians. It's called Under a Silent Sky. Uh, powerful book. In- incredible book. It's, it's historical fiction, um, but the, the, from what I understand, the author did a, a ton of, of research and really tied in accounts of the Waldensians. And the Waldensians were the ones who were known as the, the um, Sermon on the Mount Christians. And they, they quoted the Sermon on the Mount. They memorized it. They just made that their center. And, and it changed the world. It said that in Europe in that time, I believe it was the 1400s, that there was hardly one person in Europe who, who could say that they had not been in one of their services. Like they just proliferated Europe, uh, their house churches, uh, and just their way of suffering was a powerful testimony. And many people 
were drawn were drawn into it. Um, and but they were men who and women who under much oppression and persecution were dreaming about the way of Jesus and allowing that to affect their lives. So let's let's begin reading the Gospels uh, over and over again. Let's memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matt Landis said this, let's be as passionate about the Sermon on the Mount as some people are about the amendments. So let's, let's make the Sermon on the Mount way our way again, bringing heaven to earth. Um, a beautiful story in Matthew 9, just stuck in there um, about this lady, uh, Tabitha or Dorcas, um, and how she was somebody who was full of good works and charitable deeds. And what was it? It was just simply, she was a seamstress for the poor people, for the women. So mundane, so simple, but yet so powerful. And, we're, and we read about today, and actually, the, there's only one time that the Greek word for a female disciple is used in the New Testament, and that is here in this account there in, in Acts 9 about Dorcas. Only one time. So here was a, a faithful disciple doing just the simple thing of, of using her ability to, to sell uh, articles of clothing, and, and, and we'll read about today. So beautiful. I believe that she was somebody who had allowed the ways of Jesus to inflame her heart um, and was reaching out to her world. There's a quote that I love by N.T. Wright, uh, and it goes like this. Our primary task is not so much to give answers to impossible philosophical questions as to bring signs of God's new world to birth. And I find much hope in that quote because I'm not a person who is, who's an apologist, um, who's able to dig into the nuances of, of whatever it might be. Uh, of, yeah, whatever it might be. I'm, um, you know, I have an atheist friend who comes in our cafe and he's got an argument for every, for, for every um, interaction or, or engagement around scripture and God. He's got an argument for it. But I, 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 that doesn't discourage me because it, our primary task is not giving answers to philosophical questions. But our primary task is to bring signs of God's new world to birth. And any one of us can do that. Dorcas did it here by just stewarding the gifts that God had given her. And we can do that. I can know that I can't win him in an argument, but I can win him through love and interaction. So let's, let's, um, let's press into this to dreaming again, uh, allowing, allowing the ways of Jesus to stoke, to inflame our imagination. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, ways that can ha- happens for me is um, outside of like, reading the Gospels about Jesus and, and the New Testament, um, but is, is reading books. Uh, I find that to be really helpful. Um, also, there's a, a, a YouTube channel uh, called The Bible Project. We're actually a ministry. They do a lot more than just make videos. But, um, and they have a series called the Luke Acts series. Um, and it's, it's looking at the, the, the Gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles. And it's powerful. And, it, it's, uh, and watching that has just has been really a part of, of helping me think about how can I be um, Jesus to the world, world around me. It takes a transformation of your imagination to see it and embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom. Tim Mackey says that. So let's, let's pray that God would transform our imagination so that we can see and embrace 
the ways of Jesus, which is the upside down ways, opposite of the way that my flesh would want to respond and be. Okay, number four, we cultivate communities of faithful practice by joyfully stewarding our daily occupations for kingdom advance. And again, we just talked about what Dorcas was doing there, and we know that we just have so much in Scripture. We just we see the Apostle Paul, and a, a majority of the New Testament is by him. But how did he support himself? By being up at night and so intense. And we talk about a brother who worked hard. That was the Apostle Paul. And I feel sometimes that as kingdom Christians or, or, or those of us today is we, um, we just don't work very hard. We have it pretty easy. And we need to just follow in the steps of, of Paul and, and not only be teaching and engaging and advancing God's kingdom through, through word uh, and writing, but also through our occupations. And in, in that time, handwork was at the bottom of the rung of the society. Uh, no one of class would do manual labor. But Paul, I think, was just joyful, excited to just destroy that dichotomy. He says, no, this, we can bring this together, working with our hands and teaching and advancing the kingdom of God. So our, whatever that might be, uh, whether you're a mother, a uh, father, um, those, that part of our, our lives, um, whether uh, a carpenter, a writer, whatever it is for you, we can use that, that daily work to, um, to advance God's kingdom. You know, our businesses should be, should be our fishing pond. It's a place that we can daily build relationships with people. And, and it should really be um, an area that we, we anticipate finding and seeking out those, those who are seekers. Um, someone has said, you cannot answer questions that people aren't asking. You can't answer questions people aren't asking. So how do you answer questions that people aren't asking to you? you got to make yourself accessible. You have to live in front of people in places where they can come to you and ask these questions. And that's one thing that has is one of my passions for, for seeing us as Anabaptist folks get back into areas where around people, to live among people, that kind of that glass house idea where people can observe us and watch us, where they can organically get to know us. And then at that point, they can feel safe to ask, ask those questions. And I can think of numerous of those in my life where uh, you, re- you realize that all of a sudden this person asked, has asked you a deep, vulnerable question. And now you have this amazing opportunity to answer that. And, and actually to be praying for that, praying for those people that you know on your street, that you know in your, in your occupation, praying that, that God will bring together um, situations where you can, where we can, you can naturally have these spiritual conversations, and especially where they can, where they bring it up to you, um, where they ask a question, just gives us such an opportunity to bring signs of God's uh, new world to birth. Um, I think of, there's so many examples here of people who are who are, are doing this so well um, of using occupation uh, to be uh, an example of, or, or using it as a way to advance God's kingdom. Uh, Leo Eby, Eby Sawmill is. Is a beautiful example of that. Uh, my dad, um, he was, he's a trucker. Um, he's 73 years old and still putting on 2,000 miles a week. Um, but he, he, it's not, it, it's his, his, his 
his vision for that is much broader than just 2,000 miles a week. Um, he has many people along the way that he interacts with. He just builds these relationships, and, and he's always anticipating that next conversation, that next interaction uh, with this t- uh, forklift driver or whatever it might be, that restaurant worker. Um, he's been a, a huge inspiration in my life uh, for somebody who's using their work for the gospel. Uh, many, many, like I said, many, many other things uh, here that we talk about. But we don't have time, so let's keep moving along here. Let's move into our last one um, that I have, the fifth one, and we cultivate communities of faithful practice by serving strangers at our tables. And um, I, I, I've actually had this preach this this whole message just to talk about this part. Um, this is something that I care so deeply about is how can we serve strangers at our table? And it's just, it's the word hospitality that we use. Of course, hospitality applies to our community. We actually see that a lot um, in the New Testament, even more than maybe hospitality to strangers, but it's hospitality bringing our church, those ones who are, who are walking with us um, in our, in our communities bring those in around our table. That's very, very important. But we do know that Jesus cares about the stranger. And so, yeah, hospitality is a word that's used for that. The Greek word is philio zenoth. Philio is love. Zenoth is strangers. So love of strangers. Um, very simple description, really. The opposite of philio zenoth is xenophobia. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you would have heard xenophobia. That's actually a term that's thrown around quite a bit today, especially um, sadly, oftentimes this is actually um, thrown, at, thrown at the Christians uh, in America. We, uh, so many conservative Christians have, 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 have sadly have been classified as those who are, you know, who, who, are, who, are xeno, who have xenophobia. They're, they're fearful of strangers um, because they want to, they're, they're worried about what might come in. And that's really, really sad because I believe that's the opposite of the way of Jesus of the way of the kingdom. So let's not, let's, let's push back, let's reject the spirit of xenophobia, and let's embrace the spirit of filio xenoph, love of strangers. And we see that in the life of Jesus. We see that he, he reached out to people, to those around him. And, and through doing that, oftentimes he, he, was, he was really um, rejecting some of the, the ways of the culture of, the, of his Jewish contemporaries um, at that time. We think of, I, I read earlier or talked earlier about Matthew 9 there, where Jesus, his response to the Pharisees when they were questioning out his disciples why he was eating with the, with the publicans and the, and the sinners. And, and um, in that account there, he calls Matthew, um, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, calls him and said, hey, come follow me. And Matthew is this tax collector, is this, is this, you know, is somebody who, who, um, who is exploiting the nation of Israel. He's working for the imposters. He's working for the Rome, uh, uh, helping them te- collect tax on his own people. So he's, you know, he is uh, hated by the Jewish people. And Jesus says, come, follow me. And he goes with Matthew and he goes to his place. And he, it says there he dines with Matthew and with other tax collectors, with, with other publicans, and it says other sinners there with them. Just a beautiful picture of, of Jesus reaching out to the strangers 
around him. Of course, in that whole interaction there, in that beautiful response of, of God desiring mercy and sacrifice. Um, Mark Glanville said, we learn from Jesus' fellowship meals that our tables should be a place of radical welcome, especially for those who are lonely and on the, and on the outside. This is the shape of the kingdom of God. And in, of course, in that time, that Jewish culture, having someone come and, and dine with you um, was really, it was, a, a, it was just an announcement. It was, uh, the reality was that you're my friend. I'm with you. You're one of us. It's maybe not quite so much that today, but I do believe that there is something so, um, so deep, so meaningful, when we can bring people that we hardly know uh, in, into, our, into our tables. Um, Rosera, Rosera Butterfield, from the book, The Gospel Comes to the House, and the reader from that here just a little bit, says this, a uh, quote from her, Jesus identifies with the stranger, the outsider, the needy. Daily hospitality hones a distinctive Christian culture from within as it embraces the evangelical optimism, knowing that if God wills, strangers will become neighbors and neighbors will become part of the family of God. Who knows? This may happen at your kitchen table tonight. And then, of course, we have the, the sobering teachings of Jesus in Matthew 25 about those who did not, did not feed the hungry and etc. We have Luke 14, um, 12 through 12. 12 through 14 that says this he said to the one he um, he also said to the one who had, had invited him when you give a lunch or a dinner don't invite your friends your brothers your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you will be repaid on the contrary when you host a banquet invite those who are poor maimed lame or blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And how many of us care about this teaching? How many of, how many of us have, have taken this seriously? And I would love if all of us could just fall at the feet of Jesus and, and ask him, confess. Like I, I feel like it's an area that I need to confess. That I've, we haven't done this best. We need to do this more. And we need to invite those people into our places that we know will invite us back. We do a lot of, the, uh, we do a lot of inviting those in who, who, who will invite us back at some point. And that's okay. That's a part of, 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 of community. But we need to intentionally press into and pulling the people in that are on the outside. Um, Hebrews 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So may God help us uh, in this. Um, I'm going to read a couple uh, sentences from Rosera's book here. And this is, uh, she's, this is very pointed at us as Christians. So Rosaria, actually I was, I'm pronouncing her name wrong. Rosaria, um, she was a, uh, a, a lesbian uh, in, the, in the 90s who really forwarded the LGBTQ um, uh, work uh, that that notion, those those principles, she really forwarded that and was it was at the front end of that, uh, writing a lot, uh, writing in newspapers, and she would get a ton of hate mail back. Um, 
from from Christians, etc., who who were really pushing back against her and and, and her work. But one day she got a, a, a from one article she wrote where she was really critiquing Christians. She got an article, a letter back from a, a Christian pastor in that area, and he said, "Hey, Ros- uh, Ros- Rosaria, I would love to get to know you. Um, we would love my wife and I would love to have you to our place for a meal." And she was somebody who took, who took pride in um, allowing others, uh, allowing other thoughts to engage her, uh, people who had, who had other narratives and other ways of thinking. She, was, she wanted to be open-minded, and she was proud of that. And so she felt that she had to follow through with the invitation. So she went to this pastor's place, and there she encountered a Christianity that she had, she had never seen before. Sadly, she just witnessed from a distance just the hate, uh, what, what maybe she felt as hate, but oftentimes was, was hate. Uh, and so here she was able to experience this, this wholesome love and interaction with this Christian couple. And, and she ended up coming back to that. She kind of hit a hard time in her life. And this couple ministered to her in so many beautiful ways. And through that, she became a Christian. And today she has a family uh, and she's, she's just passionate about Christian hospitality. Anyhow, she says this in her book. Instead of feeling sidelined by the sucker punches of post-Christianity, Christians are called to practice radically ordinary hospitality to renew their resolve in Christ. Too many of us are sidelined by fears. We fear that people will hurt us. We fear that people will negatively influence our children. We fear that we do not even understand the language of this new world order, least of all its people. We long for days gone by. Our sentimentality makes us stupid. We need to snap ourselves out of the self-pitying revere. The best days are ahead. Jesus advances from the front line. And I know that uh, many of us live in places that, that are just the bastions of this post-Christianity. I know that we do here. Um, and it can make us, it can, it can bring fear into our hearts. But we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power, and of a sound mind. May we just reach out to those who, who were like this Rosaria lady, who was just, was just the, 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 the epitome of, of an anti-Christian spirit. Reach out to those, invite them into our home, and, and get to know them. And earlier this year, uh, we did that. We have a, a couple down the street here, a lesbian couple, who have several adopted children, and we've slowly gotten to know them. You know, we felt like we felt called to to um, to reach out to them and, and get to know them more, and so we invited them to our place for a meal, and it was an experience that I won't forget. Uh, definitely took us way outside of our comfort zone, but I believe through that we've we've now had a relationship with them that we wouldn't have had before. So may God give us wisdom to know how to steward this relationship for God's kingdom and to speak truth um, when when that is needed. So what what does this look like? How do we um, reach out? And I, uh, I just want to quickly share a short story of a time that I got to experience this hospitality, and it really helped me to understand how I need to express hospitality to strangers. And so this story takes us to Iraq. A year ago, I was there to, uh, with, with All Nations Bible Translation. Uh, we were uh, assessing a work there in Iraq for a possible translation need. And one morning, the, the, the expat that we were with said, uh, or one day he said, I want to take you tomorrow morning on a hike way back in the mountains. 
and he's and, and he's 70 years old, dear dear brother. Um, he goes out for a little longer than a two and a half hour walk, brother John. Uh, this brother on Saturday, he goes way back in um, on this huge hike. He's 70 years old, and um, I thought, okay, I was warned. Uh, he's he's going to work you right out, and he sure did. We went way back in, and we we're getting back there, and um, and my my this this brother said, hey, we're, we're going to that mountain right over there, uh, up in that top corner. There's an old village there, remains of a village that Saddam Hussein blew up because they were dissenters. And we're going there. There's an old spring, ancient spring on the side of the mountain where we can get water and we'll rest there and then come back. And I'm looking from, we're on one range, I'm looking to the next range. And I'm seeing these little, just literally little bodies, uh, little, little people walking around on this ledge right close where he's pointing. And I said, do you know there's, there's people up there? He goes, uh, no. We said, I said, is it, is, it, is it often that people are there? He goes, no, occasionally a shepherd. And, but I can see this is, I don't see any flocks of sheep. I'm just seeing numerous um, little, little figures walking. And, uh, and I said, and he couldn't see him. He, his eyesight wasn't good enough. And I began to think about a warning that one of the men, one of his team had told me, he said, uh, someday we're fearful this brother won't come back because you get way back in there. And there's these Iranian militias that kind of peruse those mountains and, and we're, you know, we're a little nervous about, about that sometimes. And I began to get fearful. And so we, we went on, we climbed that mountain, and we popped around the ledge and I'm just, I'm tuned because I, I'm really concerned, really worried about this, this interaction with these people. And uh, we pop around the corner and there's these five or six men. They're seated on the ground around a meal. And on the right next to this, or next to them was a stone wall and they had a gun prop there and a little fire going. And I was, I was on edge. I had no idea what their response was going to be. And almost instantly, one of those men jump up and walk towards us saying, hi, welcome, welcome, and uh, welcome here. And, uh, and all the other men jumped up, and, and, and they stepped up to the side. He was the only one who knew, uh, knew English, and he's like, come, sit down. We want to serve you. And so we came and sat down there uh, on, on the ground around this, this meal they had spread out there of naan and, and goat cheese and they had chai, chai tea, little fire with a pot, heating their water up. I mean, it was, an, it was the most epic picnic I've ever experienced. Um, as you, you could turn and look out across the valley, out across the plains of, of Iraq. Um, there was old, ancient olive trees, ancient walls. It was the most <laughs> epic experience I've ever had. And, and, and a delicious meal. But incredible hospitality. We were the strangers. We were the Americans. We were the outliers. We didn't know the language. We didn't know that. I didn't know the culture. Didn't know what to expect. But the one who knew our language stepped up, welcomed us. It was no question with a smile. The other men jumped up. They showed us by their body language. They wanted us there. And we just had a great time smiling and doing a little bit of visiting and, and got to experience an amazing meal. And so I want to do that with people, with the strangers around us. Reach out to them. Um, try to like overcome the cultural barrier, barriers, the language barriers. Try to overcome anything that might make them fearful. Think about your environment. There, there's so much that can be spoke about here. We just don't have the time to get into that. Um, you know, there's a little um, uh, Emmaus principle that I call it, where uh, the, 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 the Emmaus account there in Luke 24 is just beautiful of Jesus coming and walking along with this couple. And they talk together. They walk together and they dine together. And it's just beautiful. And so figuring out what are some ways in our lives that we can walk with people 
that we can talk with people and that we can dine with people. I believe that that's going to change, that, that has a potential of changing the world. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe that is so true. Um, Tim Keller planted a church in the bastion of, of materialism and of intellectual thought. And that was in Manhattan, New York. It was in the 90s, early 2000s. Currently, I think it's, it's considered a mega church really. Um, now, many people attend it. But he said this. Um, he said, bring people to the place they wish Christianity was true and then tell them it's true. And I found it amazing because you would think that in an intellectual part of the world like that in Manhattan, New York, it would actually be, you know, convincing people through apologetics, etc., that Christianity is true and then they'll believe it. But no, he said, you need to appeal to their emotional sense before giving, um, before they'll be open to the, before they'll be open to the logical sense. And so, I believe that through our communities, um, through all these ways, all these different ways that we can create this, this beautiful picture of heaven on earth and through hospitality, especially inviting strangers in, you know, overcoming those cultural barriers, those language barriers, um, those worldview barriers, just inviting them to come around the table and eat with us and they can see life. They can see us living life and realizing that we're people together uh, in this life, that there's an incredible potential for us to change the world in this. So, um, and also one other point on hospitality, I think as, as, as a community, not only as families do we need to be doing this, and as individuals, inviting strangers in, so we, and walking with them, talking with them, dining with them, but I think as, as church communities, we need to prioritize eating together, dining together um, as, as a church family, and inviting people into that as well, where they can see us visiting, fellowshipping, interacting. They can see us doing that hard work of another fellowship meal. They're hard. And for some people, all that commotion and chaos, if you will, um, it, 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 it's not easy. It, it can, you know, just give me my, my space, you know. Um, as Americans, I think we can quickly enter into that world of, of that, that feeling of, wow, I just need my space. Oh, another fellowship meal. I got to take, take the food to the gathering. Um, it's kind of chaotic. There's children and how much interaction can I actually have? But I believe as we come together as a family and eat together, I believe there's a, there's just an exponential uh, proclamation of the kingdom of God there. And especially inviting other people into that meal. So cultivating kingdom communities of faithful practice is not flashy. It is hard work and the God through his Holy Spirit, and may through may, may our interactions with each other um, really uh, provoke us to love and to good works in these areas. And someday it'll be worth it. We'll get to stand there before the Lamb with all these other people, all the other ethnicities, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in her hand, shouting and singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face for the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12.
So may this incredible uh, vision give us the, the ability to practically live our lives so we can see that reality at some time. So those who we brought in, we can stand together and worship our God. So may God give us much grace. That's all I had to share. I'll turn it back to you, Glenn. Um, and I would love to hear any input, pushback, feedback, whatever, and other uh, ideas of ways that we can cultivate communities of faith practice. Thank you very much, Brother Bryant. That's uh, been a real blessing to, to hear that. We'd like to um, open it up for uh, the input of uh, those of you who are a part of this uh, call here for uh, questions or other thoughts, uh, pushback, uh, whatever you would have there. Um, who has something to, to share? Uh, back at the beginning, you alluded to something, Brian, uh, about what it really means to become a Christian. Mm -hmm. I think uh, many people think of Christianity as an end in itself. It's a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Christ is redeeming individuals because he wants to present to the world a redeemed society. And we make it an end in itself when we say it's all about me getting to heaven. Uh, it's actually about me joining a redeemed society to demonstrate heaven on earth. And I think once we get that clear in our minds, we will enter into kingdom experience. Mm -hmm. But if we're just thinking about salvation as an end in itself, it's, it's something that I want to accomplish uh, for myself, namely getting to heaven. Mm -hmm. that'll, that'll give us an altogether different picture as to what, mm -hmm. we're here, what, what our life is all about. So we need to be getting people to understand that uh, God redeems us because he wants a redeemed society. That's the whole point. The whole point is a redeemed society. And so to respond to Jesus and not have that concept and not enter into his kingdom is to miss the whole point of Christianity, uh, at least for the present age. So uh, we need to think of our salvation as a means to an end, not an end in itself. Thank you, Brother John. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Someone else? Yeah, I really appreciated the, uh, the emphasis on uh, on uh, um, talking with people and inter interacting with people on a, on a daily level. Um, one question I had, and, and maybe this is for a longer discussion, but uh, how do you how do you break cultural barriers um, to people who are who are different? Mm -hmm. You walk up to them and say hello. <laughs> yeah, that's amen. I'm, well, I'll tell you what I told Brian Otto, and I don't know how many of you know Brian Otto. Brian was a quiet little old order, well, excuse me, new order Amish guy. And I got him involved in Queen Street, and he looked at me, and he's like, I, I don't know how to do this. And I walked over and put my hand out, and I said, my name's Patrick. I folded my arms, and I said, tell me about yourself. And I didn't think he got that, but years later, I seen him telling somebody else, 
hey, when they said they didn't know how to do this, he walked over and said, my name's Brian. Tell me about yourself. And, I, you know, it's really that simple. <laughs> you know, fear is face everything with reality, or there's other acronyms that you can use. But if you're intimidated by somebody, the best thing to do is to change the intimidating factor by doing it. And I know that sounds hard. On my end, speaking isn't easy, but being quiet is. So sometimes I have to just be quiet and face what's hard for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was listening to you and I was encouraged by you. Um, I have a project that I've been doing, and, I, and I'm explaining this because John, when I first showed it to him, he said, oh, take it down. <laughs> Everybody I showed it to said, oh, take it down. The 16th of December will have an occupancy for the building. It took me tearing apart the building and rebuilding it with men in Harkin House, which is a halfway house that I started, and we rebuilt the place so that people can live in. And doing that's not the important thing. The activity isn't important, but the neighborhood response is. I have a guy, I work with sex offenders, and there's a guy who lives next to the house that we're working on, and he would scream pedophile, pedophile, and, and just go crazy all the time. Well, I heard his mother and sister say, as he was yelling at me, will you leave him alone? He's making the neighborhood better. Amen. <laughs> you know, and it was just because I decided to take the ugliest building in town, like the men that I have, the ugliest people in society, and repurpose them to do something. And, and I don't know. I, I had this thing I was thinking about when you were talking. Um, I'm a blue-collar Christian. I don't profess to be a theoretical giant, never will make it, don't want to be it. That's not my, my goal. I would rather just do something than to talk about something. I am bored to tears by all the talk. <laughs> but that's okay. And here I am participating in a talk this morning. <laughs> it's at 6, brother. 6 to 7. It's early in the morning. Well, I'm, I'm always awake. The one thing that I found when I started this blue house is I could not know the ending before I started it. And the unfortunate thing is most of the people I work with, they want to know what the expected goal is by the time they're done, before they even start. And if they can't reconcile that, they go, up, oh, I'm out, they out. Hmm. And people are the same way. Walking over, you, you said in your sermon where you were talking on Chambersburg Christian Fellowship, you said it was a Thai restaurant. It's actually a Mediterranean restaurant where we went to for lunch. And my friend Amr, I'll tell you a stupid little story. Amr, I insulted, and he was mad, and he didn't want to talk to me. He, he heard all these bad things about me, and coupled with me insulting him, and after six months of constantly being diligent with that sore, you seen how he responded to me when we went there to eat. I'm looking for you, Brian. Remember when Amr came out? And Amr treated me as a guest. Right. And I can tell you, truthfully, two years prior, he wanted me nowhere near his building. Hmm. 
And it's overcoming difficulties just with conversation. And if you're not out in the public, I'll, I'll get into a real quick story and then I'll get off. I helped the River Brethren give a food drive away. And the youth were out there holding the boxes and looking at people. And they weren't engaging. And I get this phone call an hour, well, about an hour into it. And he says, we need you to send more cars. I'm looking in the sky like, what? How am I going to, what do you think I have? Like I got this magic button. So I said to him, ippity pippity pal, it's going to happen. And I realized they were in trouble. And I rode up there and I realized when I got there, they weren't engaging. So the first thing I did is I made it fun. I started goofing with the young people, throwing boxes, yelling and screaming, talking. And these are quiet, quiet river brethren. <laughs> Showed up, they had 800 meals, meal kits, which were three boxes and one gallon of milk. I left an hour and 45 minutes later and they had 100 of them. And the reason being is I went over and talked to people and I said, I need your help. We have all these meals and these guys don't want to talk. I need you to call your friends, email them. Facebook them, call them, tell them to come on out. And I made it fun. I left that situation and I called Daniel Hirschberger and I said, Daniel, I'm afraid you're going to judge me for what I did, but I had to get involved to get this done because if not, you would be here until 10 o'clock and you still have the same amount of meals. Sometimes the kingdom of God, you just got to do something. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Um, Royden, yeah, so overcoming cultural differences, uh, well, maybe um, just as that, that, that gentleman um, there on that mountain, as he just walked towards me with a smile, you know, just engaged us and welcomed us, um, could be, you know, that's, that's, if I was overcoming cultural differences there, I knew, <laughs> I knew that he was welcome because of his smile. But your question is really good, and I would love for us to see us engage this topic at some point. Um, is is maybe pull in some different brothers who, who are doing this, um, every day or often or doing it really well, and and talk about that, that that this that particular stuff. Su- subject of how can we overcome cultural differences in in our in our evangelism and our reaching out um and we could add that glenn to our list of topics to discuss you know i think about here you know we've had tons of people in our home from all over the world we were actually last evening i was as i was with this, this topic i was i asked my family so you know who let's talk about all the different times we people into our home from different parts of the world and it was fun reminiscing, and, and each one of the children remembered different times and different people um, that we've had in, into our home. And I think about um, just on Thursday night, maybe I'll drop this picture onto our, um, onto the strength of strength, but we had for Thursday Thanksgiving, uh, we had Thursday evening for, for supper, we had a, 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 a gentleman from Burundi, from, uh, a lady from Colombia, and a gentleman from India to our place here. And um, afterwards, we were playing games together. And I had this picture of my children up on the table. We are playing a game. And they were all just having a great time and laughing together. Uh, it was just a, a beautiful picture. And it excites me to see my children interacting with people from other ethnicities. But 
something I think is that is just so is, is just walking people to a table. Uh, yeah, we don't even hardly know them, and it can be kind of awkward even. Like here, I'm sitting with these 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 guys here. Either one was undergrad, and the other two are like doing like postgraduate work in material science. I mean, they're like way up there in fields that I had no idea what they're doing, but yet they just they just loved their evening. And both of them, they all reached out to me afterwards and thanked me for the evening because, you know, I think they felt welcomed to our table and, and it was something they probably won't forget. I know the one lady had never had an experience of, a, of, a, of turkey and a kind of Thanksgiving meal. And uh, she, that was really, really special to her. So um, anyhow, yeah, I'm not sure that totally gets at your question there, Royden, but um, I think sometimes just doing it, getting out and doing it, inviting people in and just not overthinking it. I mean, it, it can be awkward. I'm, you know, I'm this person who has 10th grade education and here's someone doing postgraduate work. I have no idea how to engage on that topic, but it was interesting hearing them talk about the different things they're involved in. And it was amazing how, even how practical it can become. And so there's oftentimes where yeah, we can find, you know, similarities, uh, connections, vision, hobbies, that, that align and it, it creates a conversation interaction. So, um, Glenn, back to you. Okay, thank you for that. It's um, about 7.11. Um, maybe we might have time for one more comment if anyone has anything to share. Otherwise, we'll uh, be adjourning here shortly. Is there anything? Yeah, this is Tim Hartzer from Kentucky. Um, I really, really enjoyed the, the talk this morning. And I'm excited about point number five especially. Um, but the feedback we get a lot of times when we t start trying to reach out to people in the community around us is, oh, but you have to, you have to watch the influences of, of people on your family. And that is true. But how do you address, how do you address that problem um, I guess I feel that it's it's way overrated that we need to protect our families so much that we end up not reaching out to the people around us. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Um, yeah, so I think it's a topic that will never go away uh, within our communities of, of how do we how do we raise our children um, how do we protect them from some of the really overt evil things? Um, yeah, do we have a couple into our home who's a lesbian couple? Um, you know, our children, they soon realize that we, we prep them a little bit before, before they, which we always do that. Whenever we, whenever we have people into our home, we, we talk about you know, what, who they are, uh, how we got to know them, what their names are. Um, and some of the things we plan to do to kind of, with our children, we want our children to be involved and feel like they can, they're part of it. They're part of the mission of, of reaching out. Right. So get right. Out if they don't have that feeling. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's a huge question. It's, it's a good question. Um, you know, when you have neighbor children and they love coming to our places because they're fun, there's, you know, we're people who, you have you have bikes and swings and 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 you know places to play outside because we do a lot of that and so the neighbor children naturally are are drawn to our, our properties 
and there's just influences that come with that. That's a huge question that, that I, I don't know how to answer totally. Uh, I, do need, I do know that we, we do need to reach out, um, but how can we protect them? I think one of the things that's really important here is that we have a community that we're very close to, um, that they're a part of. If we're just kind of a family doing this on our own, um, I believe you know, our children are going to find close friendships that won't be good. But if we're doing it as, as a body together, um, on a mission together, where we have close community, where our, the inter- their interaction influence from our brothers and sisters and, and those in Christ are more than the outside influence, I believe that's really important. Again, almost more questions than answers in this area, but a good question. I, I would love to hear from anyone, anyone else here. Okay. Thank you again uh, there, Brian, for for your time this morning and for sharing. And thank you for all those um, good questions that were presented there. I think we're going to be wrapping up here. Um, maybe we can close with prayer. Uh, Brother Earl Eby, good to see you on here this morning. Uh, would you want to um, close the meeting this morning in prayer? Sure. Let's pray. Great God Almighty, we acknowledge that you truly are the king of our lives, and we are grateful that uh, you have invited us to be a part of your kingdom, a part of your family, through, the, uh, through the, uh, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we approach you this morning through the grace and the, and the gift of salvation that we have in Jesus, and, um, and thereby accept his authority to be your your disciples and to be your servants in this community, in this, uh, this uh, journey of, of kingdom living. And, and I pray, God, that your spirit would just so powerfully uh, guide us and direct us in the, uh, the seeking wisdom and guidance and answers to the questions. But, God, I pray that, the, uh, that as you... Um, impart to us your nature as you impart to us your righteousness that you would help us to receive that and that the the power that comes with your nature which is the uh, the love and the and the wisdom of of Jesus Christ and his fullness that he would that you would just help us God to put that into action bless each of the brothers and their families that are in this um the circle today May and others that are that are joining in us from time to time, may they continue to experience the presence and the power of the living Christ mm. in their journey, so that um, the presence of, of Christ might just continue to permeate all that we think, all that we dream, and all that we do. Mm. Thank you for the brother that shared his heart today and continue to let the message of um, truth um, guide and direct us and influence us. And then most of all, God, give us the vision to know how to put it into practice um, in daily living. It's wonderful to be encouraged in these kinds of situations, but God, um, as we go forth into our occupations, into our ministries, may you just continue to impact us um, and, and allow us to be your vessel, to be your messengers of light and love and hope to, um, to a seeking world. Thank you, God, for, uh, for all of your work that you're doing around the world and the globe today. Mm-hmm. May you continue to empower and to and bless each one of them. We lift up to you the, uh, 
the needs of our families, those that may be experiencing illnesses and, and uh, viruses. And, and uh, God, we realize that um, that is uh, seeking to, uh, to hinder somewhat the, the influence of our, our, of our journeys, of our discipleship. So, um, Lord, help us to know how to be wise and to how to be cautious and how to be yet effective in bringing about your righteousness in our communities. So, God, we pray for our nation. We pray for your, your righteousness and your justice to prevail and that your truth and your wisdom would just permeate um, all levels of those in authority over us, that, uh, that the church of Jesus Christ might be able to continue to be the church and that we, Father, might take opportunities to, uh, to uh, continue to bless and lead and um, influence our communities for, for the righteousness and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the kingdom of God. I pray, God, that you would just um, bless uh, each of us now as we go in our, our neighborhoods and that we might be able to continue to be the, uh, the righteousness and the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask all of these favors and blessings in the name of the living Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Next week, we look forward to having uh, Brother Harold Troyer with us. Um, some of you may be familiar with um, the Eternal Prayer Flame, which is a 24-7 prayer that he has um, organized. And he will be sharing with us on the topic of prayer. So I uh, look forward to seeing all of you back then. So Lord bless your day and uh, see you next week. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.